Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello everyone, this is David O'Sullivan, the digital publicist for LawPod, and I'm really excited today. I'm going to be talking to a few law students about balancing their academic requirements with extracurricular activities. So if we can quickly go around the room and if you guys all want to quickly introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about the activities you're going to be talking about today. Great. So uh, I'm Peter Lockhart. I am a first year M law student and today I'm going to be talking about homework clubs. Hi, I'm Molly Quinn. I'm a first year undergrad student and I am going to be talking about school council, school council and the standing committee. I'm Mishka Sun, and I'm a first-year undergrad law student. I'll be talking about learning different languages and balancing that with academics. Hi, I'm Adam Kirksmith, first-year MLaw, so I'll be talking about studying and athletics and sort of balancing that and the opportunities sport can offer. Well, Adam, that's very interesting, and I know you're quite a high-level athlete yourself, aren't you? I suppose that's not, that's not for me to say, but it's for... <laughs> yes, I suppose. <laughs> and how do you balance a very rigorous training regimen with your, you know, postgraduate academic? I suppose the benefit of uh, training at a relatively high level is that a lot of the, the work's done independently within, within athletics. So, for example, if I were, if I were rowing or fencing, it would be very much facilities-based. So the, the majority of my training is just very much go out the door and run. So it's a case of if I can do a few hours of good study in the morning, get out for a run late morning, come back, and one of the other benefits is when I trained alongside a full-time job, I was on my feet all the time. I worked, worked in a running shop. So the benefit of being able to study physiologically is quite significant in that you're not on your feet. So actually it, it sort of coheres quite well in a complementary way. And do you think eight weeks into the course, you're still able to balance quite easily your passion with academic requirements? I'd say so. I mean, it, it requires certain trade-offs. So for example, if you have an assignment coming up, it's being able to tailor your training, your training slightly. So it might be a sort of periodization. So essentially with, with elite sport, a lot of it's about how you structure the blocks of weeks into months and into like, like longer, longer parts of the season. So it's, under, it's being able to understand in advance where the busy periods are going to be and adapt that. And at what stage do you think the academic pressure is going to start to encroach on your athletic success? Or is that something you haven't really put thought into at the minute? I would say it, it depends on the level of competition. So, for example, next year, the targets are the European Championships and the Commonwealth Games. So when it gets much, when it gets closer to competition season, where, you, there, will be, where there are certain key races involving travel, you then have the, those blocks of time, if you will, are slightly less conceptually flexible. So I would probably say it'll realistically be towards the spring because the winter is a little bit, it's a little bit easier as it tends to be higher volume and less traveling to compete. So are there any figures in your day-to-day -day life that are able to guide you in balancing the two things? Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. My one of my training partners at the moment is my friend Paul, who ran in uh, the marathon at uh, Rio and uh, Tokyo, the Olympics. Um, so he's, he was a junior doctor when he was training. So he talked talk about doing 13 miles in the morning, you know, having a 10-hour shift, coming off that and doing five in the evening. So it's, it's good to have that context. <laughs> and what do you think the advice he gave you is that you'd like to communicate to anyone listening at the minute? It's about understanding day-to-day 
what you're looking to get out of the training that you're doing. So rather than thinking, oh, I have to get this done, it has to be the very best, like best it can possibly be. It, ultimately, how does the instrumental value of every day you have, every session you have link together? And it's that sense of being able to balance the effort you're putting in with what you want to get from the training over the long term. And do you think you're able to balance all that with with the social life you're content with and a mental health space that that is okay? I think that was always a challenge before. And that was the reason I, I'm very, very open about that. That's the reason I've le- I left athletics previously is that it is, it's very quantitative. Ultimately, you are your physical entity putting out a certain amount of power in a, in, in a way which is in an endurance sport measurable, whereas it, you know, it's something like football or hockey perhaps isn't. So in terms of that, that balance... It's going well so far. Maybe you could come back to me in a few months. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I'm wishing you all the best. And now it's time to talk to our next guest. Mishka, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm fantastic. You know, I'm feeling, feeling the deadline's coming up. I have something to do on Monday, but I think it's going to be all right. But I'd like to talk to you today about learning languages. So what language are you learning? Um, currently, I'm learning Arabic. It's just for this semester, though, until um, I have until QUB has their Mandarin classes opening up in January, so I'll be joining those soon. And how do you find that so far? The Arabic classes so far are really nice. They're really cool. And I, growing up in the UAE, I do have a background with Arabic. I do, I can read Arabic. I can write, and I do have a basic understanding of conversational skills. So um, it's really interesting to walk into a classroom and be able to hear the language that I've been hearing growing up all my life. So I think that's really And do you think that's why you chose Arabic? Or do you think there was a kind of professional intersection that you wanted to work towards? Um, I think my first, it's my first semester as a QB student. I think um, one of the main reasons I picked Arabic this semester is for the familiarity of it, just being able to walk into a room and hear um, something so familiar to me, something I grew up listening to. And um, also it would be a really easy segue into learning a more difficult language, one, one that I had less experience with. Um, I do have experience with Arabic, with Mandarin. I'm afraid um, it's starting from the bottom. So, yes. And what do you think you'll do with Mandarin in um, the future? Mandarin, it's mostly just interest. Um, um, Mandarin is a, is a language that's spoken so widely around the world. I just, just knowing Mandarin itself would open so many more doors um, for someone. So I think that is the main, the main reason I picked the language. You do think, was that something in the back of your mind, definitely then when you were looking at, I'm studying law, I'm putting a lot of time into that, what can I use Mandarin for? Was maybe you think you might use it professionally later on? Oh, 100%. Just be, being in a field such as law, where you have to, you have to um, speak, to, uh, speak to people that are international, talk about international issues. Being able to have a new language in your, in your toolbox is something that's really, um, that would be really beneficial. Um, and building on um, languages and language skills also help with communication in your first language, which I think is pretty important. What's the workload like? The workload with Mandarin, oh, just getting into that, just having a, a language so complex with so many different characters, you can possibly start by learning the alphabet since there's so many different characters in Mandarin. So there's no, um, there's no tried and tested way of getting into the language and learning it. It's mostly just exposure. So I think with that is what I find really difficult so far. But the workload, I think it's manageable with academics as well as law school. I think it's, it's, it's a work in progress. Are you planning to keep it up for the next couple of years? Oh, 100%. I think um, with languages, I've been learning quite a few over the years. And I've been managing that with school, with A-levels, 
and now with university. So I don't think it should be too much of an issue, but if it is, I would just have to just power through that and we'll be fine. Do you have any trick when it comes to learning a language? Um, TV shows. TV music, shows. Exposure. If you find someone who, did, who speaks a language you're learning, talk to them as much as possible. And if it is, although it might be easier for you to slip back into your first language, just trying and just keep on just pushing um, the other language out. I think that's what's really necessary. Um, comfort zones aren't the best with languages. You just have to keep pushing yourself, putting yourself out there, and that's the best way. And so do you have someone in your day-to-day -day life that you can speak Arabic and Mandarin with? I am really grateful that my flatmates, are, they all speak Mandarin. So I hear Mandarin on a daily basis. And I've been picking up so many different words and like phrases, and I've only been here just under a month. So just being able to pick up language, like the language, listening to people I lived with has been so easy. And with Arabic, growing up in the UAE, um, my teachers spoke Arabic, many of my friends spoke Arabic. You hear Arabic on the streets, you hear Arabic on the radio. So I think that those are really beneficial learning language. So if you had a parting piece of advice that you wanted to give to anyone listening to this podcast episode right now, what would it be? I would say if you find an interest in it, go for it and surround yourself to the language as much as possible. If you're in a country that doesn't have the language around, watch a TV show in Arabic, watch a TV show in Mandarin, watch a TV show in any language that you want to learn. Um, and it does help. Subtitles can be the language that you speak in, a different, a different language. As long as you're exposed to the language, you should be fine. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. It's really interesting to hear about that intersection between, you know, extracurricular, extracurricular interests and perhaps a professional career in the future. And on the topic of professional careers, Peter, I'd love to talk to you about a, a bit of a juxtaposition in, in your extracurricular to academic activities. So what are you doing at the minute? And so currently, David, I am volunteering for the QUB for workflow. And how that works is a number of QUB students have volunteered centrally within the university and are then effectively outsourced to a number of community centres around Belfast to work with children in that catchment area uh, from, I think, between the ages of about five or six to up to about 14 or, excuse me, 15. And how that works is it's usually a two-hour session, approximately, where you do sub work with academics and then other work uh, where you just play games, that kind of thing. So you're trying to sort of work on that pastoral and uh, academic balance. And what was the driving factor when you signed up for that? And uh, I guess there's a number of, factors as to why I signed up. So first of all, I guess you could talk about the benefits of it, which I think you could probably neatly distinguish between sort of resume value, personal value. So in terms of resume value, obviously it's something that could be used for degree plus, which I guess people should know about as a kind of a practical thing. And uh, I think it's really great experience to have on a CV if you're looking really in any profession, I think it's something that's valued because it shows that you're committing to something beyond yourself and you're not expected to be paid for doing so. Uh, in terms of personal value, it's similar. I think that you're going to learn a lot of what called those sort of soft skills that uh, are really important in any job. Uh, it develops social capital, all kinds of things that I think are really important uh, for both personal development as well as professional. Uh, for me personally, I come from a teaching background. I just finished two years of the Teach First program. And so when it came to finding an outlet for volunteering, I've always thought my the match of do something that looks like work to others, but is play to you. So 
for me, this is something that I'm very comfortable with. I've spent two years working with young people and I really, I get a real, I get a real uh, I really enjoy it. So for me, this just seemed like a no-brainer that I could join. And is there any kind of other things you do outside of, of academics that you're just interested in? It doesn't feel like it's a big taking up or a big portion of your life is being taken up by something with the goal of getting a job at the end of it. Yeah, I think you've got plenty of aspects of life that you build up with that. I mean, I played football four times a week, but I certainly have the last place to be professional. So I try and, yeah, you're trying to find things, some that are going to develop as a person, some that are going to develop as a professional. Um, outside that, I also enjoy music and things like that. And uh, yeah. All right, that's fantastic. Thanks a million for talking to me. Molly, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm, again, fantastic. Still, still doing very well. So you said, what was it you said you did? You stand I'm for... in the school council, which has led me to become a member of the standing committee. So I get to watch the development of new societies, um, how they draft their constitution plan, their development plan, and then we as a committee listen to their pitch and decide whether we think that the society would be a fit for QUB. And what's the workload like? Um, it's quite easy. Um, we only had our first meeting today, so I'm very new to this. Um, but it's very manageable with, um, with my law course. Um, so we would have a roughly about a two-hour meeting on um, a Wednesday, and then tomorrow we will have our school council meeting where we will deliver back to the school council uh, with our decisions for the societies. So at the end of this year, what do you want to have got out of this work? Uh, mostly experience. Um, I have a lot of experience from secondary school being chairperson of the school council, which I wanted to follow through um, into university. Um, and being able to see how a society is actually formed um, and all the different, like the political side of things, if you will, the different things they have to do to get their society to be approved and the different ideas the students have is really fascinating as well. So was there, was law in the back of your mind when you signed up to do this or was this something you were just interested in doing? Law was sort of in the back of my mind um, to build my profile and leadership skills, communication skills, stuff like that there. But it was more of an interest, I think, uh, whenever I signed up to do it. And do you think, I know you've only had the one session so far, but do you think you're going to have an opportunity to work on those leadership skills or or what do you think is going to happen over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, definitely. Um, with meeting with everybody and even like today, the discussions we had about different societies, I, at the start, was quite nervous and sort of sat at the back. Uh, but once I got into it, I was able to, you know, politically discuss the different opinions on the societies, the downsides, the upsides, and if they'd be a fit for the university. I suppose that idea of getting out of your comfort zone as well is always going to be reflected in, in your academic work as well. Yeah, it's be... great for, um, sorry, it's great for um, social skills and, you know, to be able to stand up and have a say in what goes on in the student union and have a say in what goes on in university life as well. And do you think that's something you want to keep up, your involvement with the student union? Yes, 100%. This past um, couple of weeks, actually getting to um, attend the meetings and to meet people and to see how it's formed has really like sparked an interest in keeping up with student union. Is this your first year or did you do it last year as well? This is my first year. I'm first year undergrad, so very new to all of this. <laughs> okay, well, guys, I really appreciate you talking to me. There's one last question. I'd like to address to all of you. And if you hop on, be my guest. So if you were going to give someone advice on balancing 
extracurricular activities with with just studying in general um, and trying to find that balance between what's best for them and what's best for their grades what would you kind of say i'm happy to go first if no one else <laughs> go on. so um it was an advice i was given which i particularly liked in terms of uh, training and working professionally and you imagine you have a jacket with pockets of time so once if you take on a responsibility that fills one of these pockets so it's understanding your time in a lot of people talk about productivity being in what you can do in these 10 or 15 minute blocks and if you break, if you break down someone the day of someone who might be considered very productive and someone who isn't, it's how you use that spare time. So, but without thinking about it in sort of you know a really obsessive way, just being quite goal oriented with those those small pieces of time and thinking, being able to chunk chunk your tasks into those sort of ten minute blocks, and you think, well, instead of having got through this these the first three hours of the morning, well, I've done I've done a bit of good work, but I didn't really achieve anything that I can really put that put down to one thing that's being able to think about what can I fit into this time and achieving it and that that's a habit that really develops itself and self-sustaining uh yeah I think I could probably also add to that that there's an idea that and then if you are given three hours to complete one task you'll take three hours to complete one task so I think sometimes when you take on extra responsibility there's possibility that actually you're more productive because the more tasks you have to complete then so the more focused you can become. So do you think having a routine is very helpful to accomplish those tasks? Yeah, I think it definitely encourages you to think ahead about what you've got going, and that can be in a sort of a short-term or long-term basis. So having a weekly plan, a monthly plan, a semester, length plan. How do you kind of do that? How do you do it personally? Um, I mean, for me personally, I guess, I use spreadsheets and things like that uh, alongside many other ways in my life in terms of financially and all this kind of thing. So having an idea of what I want to achieve throughout the semester and then breaking that down to, okay, what, for example, what's a module level in terms of each topic and how am I going to learn each topic and then just placing those into your time slots per week. Were you always like that? Or did you, this is something that happened recently and is paying off at the minute? Uh, I think this is, again, something from entering the professional world where all of a sudden my time was not just something that I was responsible for, something that it had effects on people. So I guess that's specifically reference to teaching, right? Where yeah. I had to meet deadlines or I was going to know about it. I think it's interesting as well, the idea of balancing time and, you know, reviewing and reflecting on what you could cut out of your own life. Like just this talk right now is making me think of the time I spend on TikTok and Instagram and all this kind of stuff. And I think, I wonder to myself, God, if I cut that out, be so much more productive. Do you think that's a good mentality to have? Um, I think you always have to have something that you enjoy in your day. Um, if you're extracurricular, something that you're passionate about, never treat it as a chore um, or it will become a chore. Um, I used to make the mistake where I'd say, after this essay that I've written, I will do one hour of Arabic or one hour of French. And I would then think, oh, but I don't want to do that anymore. Now it's a chore. And that's a mistake no one should ever kind of fall into. Um, always have your something that you enjoy on the side and something that you find you have to do. And once your extracurriculars become something you're compelled to do, you will lose interest and that will be that will make it more difficult to manage that work-life balance. So what's your advice on changing mentality? I think um, once you know what you need to do and what you want to do and you've separated those two, It'd be easier to manage if you have, for example, a language you have to learn. Set aside a time of um, a time, like a certain time of day, where you just practice that language, and it doesn't necessarily have to be right after something you've done that is related to 
um, academics or something. Maybe before lunch, after lunch, some when you have a bit of time to yourself to wind down, and that way it won't be another another slot in your schedule. It'll be something um, that you're looking forward to. It's like, oh, this is my time to wind down, where I also learn a language, and then you associate your your relax your time to relax and have some time to yourself with um, an extracurricular. How do you guys detox completely? How do you do something that is just winding down? Maybe not that's going to build you up, but just what's your tip to everyone listening? Uh, for me personally, I like to wind down with a book um, at night after a certain time, switch off um, the laptop, put the assignment away. I can do it another day and light a few candles and just sit with my book and forget about everything else going on in the real world. I think there's this rising trend, particularly amongst young people, about the perception of grind culture and really accomplishing so much at once. Do you think this is something you guys are influenced by? Uh, yeah, um, I think that trying to stick away from, you know, grinding all my work into a certain time period and trying to get, say, like two essays written in the space of three years or something, I'm trying to stay away from that and sort of space myself. Like, I know myself, my limits, and I know what I can get done and when I need to put everything down and just relax. Anything to contribute for a grind culture? I mean, it's, it's always a very difficult balance. I mean, the, the, the challenge in terms of the mental health dialogue, and I sort of know from my own experience, is it's very easy to offer more provisions than perhaps are necessary. So it it's maybe, maybe won't be a popular opinion, but I know from, from my own experience, sometimes you need to be a, a little, bit, little bit, once you've recovered, you need to be a little bit harder on yourself again. So it's understanding there is certainly a time we will need to recover and we all need space to recharge. But at the same time, once you are recharged, be accountable to yourself and be honest in your own self self-dialogue i'd say i think we've we've spoken a lot about the benefits of having this healthy extracurricular activities but what do you think talking on this mental health thing how do you recognize when this is encroaching on your mental health when this is absorbing too much of your time and how how can you balance your professional aspirations with your personal mental health so for an elite sport perspective it's quite easy because there's so many metrics that we use you know you look at the resting heart rate you look at your heart rate during a run you look at your sleeping hours you look at how your how your muscles are recovering and in terms of range of movement there are so many tests that you can carry out to assess your physical function but interestingly one of the issues i struggled with was was the systematic effect of underfueling which is essentially without wanting to get into the, the too much of the sports science detail you have neuromuscular recruitment which is your ability to fire a set of muscles at once in sequence which is particularly important for power-based sports where we need to perform a series of very complex connected movements. So in terms of understanding on a more complex level what's going on, you could sort of apply that to the mind and think, you know, if we're getting more stressed in situations we wouldn't normally, that's kind of a soft indicator. So I think that's something we can all relate to. And if you're getting up in the morning and you just feel slightly more irritable, that's just a little indicator that you need to give yourself slightly more space. And how do you think that should go? Do you think you should just take a couple of days off entirely or just pull back in the work? I think, honestly, everyone's balance is slightly different. So for some people, being stressed is that you haven't worked productively. So if they sit down and just think, well, this is this article I haven't read or I know that I haven't sort of caught up on this textbook reading from, the, from, from last week. Sometimes if you just sit down and get half an hour done, you can look back and think, well, I achieved that, I'm in control. So it's about perception of control. For some people, they are genuinely overworked in the sense that you, you're early, you need to recharge, you need to have a nap, you're not quite sleeping enough. So it's very hard to offer sort of general catch-all advice, but it's about understanding in a more systematic way. So perhaps keeping a diary and saying, today I felt a bit more tired. And then you're comparing yourself to the previous week and you thought actually that wasn't as bad as 
this this time in November last year or this time in March, and then you're able to, through doing that, develop a better understanding of how you work and how you work best. So Mishka and Mali, you're in first year. You've do you think your your relationship with your extracurricular activities has suddenly changed, or do you think you've been able to maintain what was going on before entering university? I think so far it's been um, easy to manage. University's only just started, so I think it's not that big of an issue at the moment. But I, I've always said that if um, I have, if it's not even for me, if anyone else feels like um, it's starting to affect their mental health, a break is something that is available. It is allowed. You are allowed to take a break. Um, it isn't. You don't, you're not obligated to, to do a task when you're not up for it. So I think um, feeling guilty about taking a break, some time to yourself, isn't something anyone um, should feel. If if it ever feels like oh it's a burden now I don't I think this is a chore just taking some time off is always allowed um, you'll bounce back um, just that five minutes of five minutes um, away from what you think you must do um, will be more productive when you do come back than just ten minutes of um, smashing out the work you're supposed to do in the moment. Yeah, to follow on of that, I completely agree. Um, in terms of like balance and uni work, like our assignments have just started. Um, and luckily they're quite spread out so we can manage, you know, lectures, tutorials, the reading for that, and then actually getting the assignments done alongside extracurriculars. Um, I work part-time at the weekend, so I find getting all of my uni work sort of done during the week means I can have time off at the weekends to work and then relax after work. Um, and I started treating my uni work as a nine to five job. So if I can get everything done by five o'clock, then I've got the evening to myself. Oh, that's actually a great idea. That's uh, something I might start doing. That's a good <laughs> idea. Thanks for listening, guys. This was a really enlightening experience and I learned a lot and I'm looking forward to implementing this in my own, my own life. This was LawPod. Thanks everyone for coming on. Thanks, David. Thank you.